You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Gravity Leadership is a community of people seeking to live our lives in the orienting center of God's love in the midst of our post-Christian world, learning to lead like Jesus, live on mission, and make disciples. In nature, gravity is the phenomenon that brings stuff together, objects as small as atoms and quarks, and as large as stars and galaxies. We believe the gravity of the Christian life is the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. The Gravity Leadership Podcast is curated conversations on what it looks like to practically orient our lives and our leadership in the love of Christ, the gravity that holds everything together. Hey friends, welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast, another episode. Uh, My name is Ben Sternke. I'm here with Matt Tebby. And uh, we're here uh, interviewing, um, in, this, is our, this is part of our series on power, um, which we've been, uh, this is several weeks, I don't even know which number this is, but um, we've been talking about power and curating some conversations about uh, how Christians uh, and the church inhabit and express and think about power, uh, specifically some of the ways that we've been, uh, some of the ways that we've inherited thinking about power that uh, have been toxic that have uh, moved us against the way of Jesus and the way of love. That's why so. we're doing it, too. That's why we're doing it? Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, right. Because, Be- uh, right, because there's there's a problem, <laughs> right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Church, we have a problem. We have a power we a, problem. We have a power problem. And, uh, and other people are talking about it for us, and it's not a new problem, mm-hmm. but it's time that we talk about it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And part of just... Permit me to rant just for a moment here, mm-hmm. but there's a there's I'll a there's a missional opportunity here, and this isn't yeah right yeah. like the good news that the world needs to hear from us includes we're wrong, we're sorry yeah here's here's how we're going to do better yeah yeah and that we're kind of allergic to that as the church and the reason we're allergic to it is we've have these inherited notions of power and so today then so today to, to answer help, all our questions. <laughs> To help us talk about this yes. is our friend uh, Timothy Isaiah Cho. Timothy, welcome. 
Thanks a lot, guys, for having me. Yeah, would you give our listeners a brief introduction, who you are, where you are, what you're up to, favorite uh, food? Spirit animal? <laughs> Patronus? <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, my name is Timothy Isaiah Cho. Uh, for the past four to five years, I've been serving on leadership of uh, evangelical and reformed Christian organizations. Um, I'm a seminary graduate of uh, Westminster Seminary, California, and I've had a couple years of serving in different ministry contexts. And I'm also uh, the assistant editor with Faithfully Magazine, which is a publication that focuses on issues that impact Christian communities of color. And so a lot of my work uh, over the past couple of years has been on the intersection of the Christian world and the world around us. And so, for example, I'm really interested in the history of racial injustice in the North American context, as well as how theologies were used and abused and even invented to perpetuate oppressive systems. Hmm. Um, and related to the topic for today, uh, my family, actually, this is quite a personal thing for me, uh, my family experienced what we now identify as spiritual abuse uh, a couple of years ago. Hmm. And so over the past several years of recovery, reflection, and even processing uh, what we went through with others who have also experienced similar things. Um, and we're still going through that recovery period, by the way, because mm -hmm. the scars of trauma um, are often lifelong. Uh, we came to realize that what we experienced was not just spiritual abuse, but uh, that our experience wasn't unique, really. Um, mm -hmm. That actually there might be even more of an underlying systemic issue in many of our evangelical and in my tradition in Reformed churches as well. Oh, man. Okay, so... There's a lot there. I've got 45 questions. Well, let's start with this. How about we just start with one question? Start with one question, right. Um, uh, I just wanted to say, like, uh, I don't know if you know uh, Dominique Gilliard and Mako Nagasawa, but uh, some of the stuff you were talking about with the theologies that were invented to sort of justify the abuses of power and all that kind of stuff, we've been... They're, they've been on this podcast in the past uh, to talk mm -hmm. about some of those issues, so... So I, I love the resonance there. It's great. Yeah. 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 So anyway, Matt, why don't we start with one of your questions? <laughs> well, you reference uh, spiritual abuse, Timothy. Um, and could you just maybe give us an idea? That word gets thrown around a lot. I didn't, mm -hmm. even, I didn't even hear that phrase five years ago. Mm. And now I hear it all the time from people, uh, from friends and from people that we interface with. Would you tell us what you mean by that? What is spiritual abuse? Yeah, that's a really great question because we really need to define our terms or else we're going to be talking past each other. I mean, <laughs> even from the basic things, like when we say, I believe in God, what do we mean by that, yep, right? Exactly. Yep. Uh, one person's definition of God could be different from another. And so I think even with spiritual abuse, we need to really be careful about how we define that term um, without just using it willy-nilly. And uh, this is a bit of a heady uh description, but I think it's really necessary for us uh, to go through this. Hmm. Uh, so there's a lot of good resources out there um, that provide different definitions of spiritual abuse. There's one author named Jeff Van, uh, Jeff Van Vonderen, and he defines spiritual abuse this way. He says, spiritual abuse occurs when someone in a position of spiritual authority misuses that authority to control, coerce, or manipulate them for seemingly godly purposes, which are really their own purposes. Mm. It's a wow. pretty good definition. Yeah. Um, well, I don't necessarily disagree with Van Vonderen, uh, but I think his definition needs to be expanded and fleshed out a little bit. 
Because I think often when people talk about spiritual abuse, we limit it to just the interpersonal level, huh. right? Pastor X did something to me or yes. to one person or one family. Yes. But uh, I think that we fail to realize that spiritual abuse takes place within a larger context and within a larger system. And I think I'm taking cues from Jesus and the apostles themselves, right? Jesus talks about the scribes and the Pharisees as an entire system, not just as individual people acting Hmm. as rogue Hmm. actors, Hmm. right? And so um, in my definition that it's a working definition, but I'm appropriating some work by uh, a scholar named Beverly Tatum, and she actually does more work on race and racism. And so she defines racism as a system of advantage based on race. So you see that. So it's interesting because, as you mentioned earlier, there's uh, a lot of crossovers between the topics of race and also on the topics of spiritual abuse. Yeah. And so her definition of racism starts on the systemic level. Mm -hmm. Within that system of advantage and disadvantage based on race is how the interpersonal sins of racism happen. And so I'm taking her definition and I'm appropriating it to the topic of spiritual abuse okay. where hmm. we can see it as a systemic issue first. And yeah. then we see that the interpersonal definition. Yeah. So I've appropriated Tatum's work, uh, looking at racism as a systemic issue first, and I've appropriated that towards the topic of spiritual abuse. So looking at spiritual abuse first as a systemic issue before we talk about the interpersonal issues. Hmm. And so here's my working definition. Spiritual abuse is a system of ecclesiastical advantage for perceived positions of Christian leadership. And I'm going to break that down piece by piece there, because that's a lot of Mm -hmm. chunks there. So first, it's a system, right? Mm -hmm. That means that it's not simply one rogue leader acting in a vacuum, but there's usually an entire structure or even a culture that enables that sort of action to happen. Yes. And and likewise, one act of spiritual abuse is usually connected to a whole string of spiritual abuse because in many cases, the first action of abuse was never dealt with. Mm-hmm. It was actually normalized, justified, or ignored, and usually that emboldens further actions. Hmm. So the second part is it's a system of ecclesiastical advantage. And what I mean by that is that those who are often in Christian leadership are afforded certain advantages within Christian contexts that regular, uh, let's say, lay people um, hmm. are not afforded. And so, like I mentioned before, usually abuse, when it's done by someone who's in a position of leadership, it's normalized, it can be justified, it can be ignored simply because of the abuser's position as a leader in the church. Yes. The third part, uh, it pertains to perceived positions of Christian leadership. And so that takes into account how it's not only official positions of leadership, pastors, Mm. elders, deacons, so on, but even unofficial or even semi-official positions, right? Bible study leader, kids Sunday school teacher, and Mm -hmm. even look at broader than the church, uh, a Christian boss in a Christian organization. Okay. Hmm. And so it's it's within that understanding of spiritual abuse as a system that the interpersonal acts of spiritual abuse occur, right? So Van Vonderen's definition. And so... Uh, And that abuse can have various forms and expressions. It can be emotional, it can be volitional, it can be sexual, it can be 
all of the above and mm-hmm. more. Yeah. Uh, the abuse can be out in the open. It can also be in secret and anywhere in between. Mm. Uh, but these acts of abuse uh, often have a context within a broader system of ecclesiastical advantage that enables those abuses to not just happen, but to continue happen unchallenged and fester in a culture that lacks accountability. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's thorough and comprehensive. Dude. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us, um, Timothy, tell us a little bit of, put some, put some flesh on the bones of that. And uh, would you mind telling us some of the contours of your story of spiritual abuse? Because I think some, some people are listening to that and they're like, oh, wait, that sounds like maybe something that I've experienced or I know about. But I think uh, oftentimes, uh, maybe, maybe if you can share your story, um, people will be able to see uh, at least one example of how this plays out. Sure, sure. I think when I was a young Christian, someone, I think a pastor told me that when things are repeated in the Bible, it's because repetition is God's highlighter. Hmm. And I think that applies also outside of the Bible with events that we experience. And so uh, at the time that my family was experiencing what we now recognize as spiritual abuse, um, we also had come to the realization that we had been experiencing another form of uh, emotional abuse, and we recognized lots of similar patterns between the two things hmm. that were going on. Okay. Over the years, we've also interacted with other folks who have experienced spiritual abuse, and we also saw there are a lot of similarities going on, a lot of similar tactics, lots of things that happened. Um, and so what we, we realized that what we went through ourselves was not unique. Uh, yeah. This is something that other people uh, through seminary connections or yeah. through church connections were also experiencing. Hmm. Uh, so it's, it's almost as though God, over the course of these years and all these events that we experienced or saw experiencing, uh, other people experiencing, it's almost as if God was repeating that event again and again. Hmm. Um, and at first it seemed really painful because why do we need to relive that experience over and over again? But it was helpful for us because, frankly, even as a seminary graduate, I didn't have any categories hmm. uh, or a filter or any sort of thing to put what we were experiencing. Yeah. We knew something terribly wrong was happening. Right. <laughs> we knew that these other people were experiencing terrible things, but we had no categories. We never learned about spiritual abuse or right. emotional abuse right. or any of those things. We were never trained about those things. We knew something was wrong. Um, I think what made us realize, especially that something was wrong and that we weren't just making things up, mm. was we experienced it in the church with two other families. And so these two other families experienced uh, abuse in separate instances, uh, separate from us, but it was a way for us to have a a sounding board uh, to kind of come to terms and realize first, it's not just us. Yeah. Uh, Second, we aren't crazy. We're not just imagining things and we're not being really sensitive, which is a common reaction of uh, abuse and trauma survivors. And three, we were able to see the pain of what we were experiencing in the lives of other people. Right. Um, That was really helpful for us to see. Hmm. And so I think when we started to see the term spiritual abuse um, being used more, uh, probably after um, Rachel Den Hollander, uh, started to talk yeah. a lot about um, sexual abuse, both outside and within the church, and uh, the growing evangelical movement and just a mass exodus of people leaving evangelical churches due to uh, spiritual abuse. Yep. Mm. 
And I think because of that, a lot of uh, pieces, a lot of articles, a lot of work has kind of come to the foreground. I think there was lots of work, like Van Vonderen's work was out right. there, but it just kind of came back to the surface again. And so uh, what's unfortunate is, like I mentioned, even as a seminary graduate, even as someone who was in evangelical and reformed church context for so many years, I didn't have any resources at my hands. Yeah. And so a lot of people like me, we've had to do the hard work of finding these sources and even reappropriating other helpful tools um, for this. Like I've you know, been reappropriating Tatum's work to mm-hmm. see the systemic issues of spiritual abuse. Because um, yeah. I don't think there's, we've had to do a lot of the hard work ourselves. Mm. Yeah. 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 Um, do you, and, and I know it's uh, it's a tricky thing. Like I've I've heard other people when they when they begin to talk about their story of spiritual abuse, it's really it becomes very difficult to sort of track with. Um, I guess to sort of go back and and relive it almost as you as you tell the story. Um, but I, I wondered if you could um, outline for us. You wrote a, a blog article that um, got our attention a while back called Five Signs of Spiritual Abuse. I wonder if you could outline those for us. Like, as you went through this experience, what were the five things that you saw that as you began to do all this research and kind of learning from others, and as this issue became known to you as spiritual abuse, what were the five things that you saw? Sure, yeah. An important disclaimer, too, is it's just five, not the five signs right. of spiritual abuse, right. right? So there there are definitely lots of other signs out there and mm-hmm. a lot of people, other people have done work on that. So these five are basically taking my family's experience as a case study. Yeah. Um, so then other people will be able to have the flesh to the bones, rubber hits the road. Like what does spiritual, what might spiritual abuse look like yeah. if it be in that context? Yeah. Um, so yeah, the, the, the first sign um, is that spiritual abuse often uses tactics of gossip. And so I remember in the midst of the, the brunt of the spiritual abuse that uh, my family was experiencing, uh, a minister in our denomination called me up out of the blue over the phone and began to say things like, people in church are saying such and such about you. And he was saying it in a way to silence me after I had uh, voiced some dissenting opinions in a congregational meeting about some of the leadership's bad decisions. So he was using gossip, slander, hearsay, and even, of course, the sensitive spot of reputation as a weapon to strong arm the leadership's decisions uh, to overrule any sort of dissenting opinion that he saw. Hmm. Okay. Uh, the second sign is that spiritual abusers are often well liked. I think this is an important one because <laughs> yes. I think so. I think we've watched way too many fantastical movies and we see uh, fantastical depictions of evildoers and we expect to see like Cruella de Vil or Voldemort. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Sure. <laughs> when we talk about spiritual abusers, um, but in most cases, the opposite is actually true. Yes. Usually, spiritual abusers are very very well liked in the church. Mm -hmm. Um, They often have very charming smiles. They even have very charming personalities, likable personalities in public. It's in private that the true colors come out. Yeah. You know, Timothy, I've said, I've said this before, people who are abusive people, the farther away from them you are, the the more you benefit from them. Relationally. So if if you're listening to them from a, a seat and they're on a platform or you're reading their book, you can gain some benefit from what they know. But the closer you get to them, the more toxic it becomes. And that's what you're describing. Right, right, right exactly. 
And but when I mean in private too, I, I don't mean only person to person, face to face, behind closed doors conversations. Right. I'm also talking about you know phone calls, right? Yeah. Um, talking about private messages over social media, mm-hmm. right? And those are also private conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, so o- often, um, I'm so I'm not saying that we should be suspicious of well liked pastors. That's not at all what I'm saying. <laughs> what I'm, <laughs> what, what I'm saying is we shouldn't be surprised yeah. when the most well-liked pastors and leaders turn out to be the most wicked of spiritual abusers. Right. Because that's sometimes the first sort of the, the incredulity that a lot of people have when, when people start saying, oh, this person is, has been spiritually abusive to me. Like, the incredulity is like, well, how could they be? They're, They're such so a charming great guy. and handsome. They're such a great guy, you know? <laughs> Charismatic. They seem so nice. They seem so vulnerable from the stage. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, that's great. So, that, that's a, that's, sure, sure. we shouldn't be, They're often well-liked is, uh, is the second, are we in the second sign? Is second the, sign. Right. The second sign that's is right. they're often well-liked. The first sign was, what they was gossip. that? They gossip. They, they use the tactics of gossip. They're a busybody. They go around. They, yeah. That's in the Bible. Yeah. Okay. What's the, what's right. the third? Yeah. I touched on this a little bit, but the third sign is that spiritual abuse thrives in private. Hmm. So, that doesn't mean that spiritual abuse can't exist in public. It often does, but usually the tactics are slightly different. Yes. Right? They, usually they're more subtle. Um, mm-hmm. Usually they are um, under the surface sort of tactics going on. But in private is when um, the most heinous acts of spiritual abuse happens. Mm-hmm. And so again, private includes one-on-one conversations in person. It can include private messages over Twitter, right? And so usually um, when spiritual abusers bring you into a private conversation, whether that's online or offline, usually they'll freight that shift from public to private with some very pious Christian language, right? Mm -hmm. They'll say things like, I don't want to have this in the public. I want to have this, I'm bringing this conversation privately to fulfill Matthew 18 or some other sort of thing, right? That's usually how it's freighted. It sounds really pious, Mm -hmm. but then they'll proceed to use intimidation, threats, gossip, slander, so on, Right, because they they know that they can get away with it, mm. and what I mean by that is in a he said she said situation, those who have positions of spiritual authority are often considered as having more credibility yes. than those who don't have those positions, especially if they're well liked. Yes, yes, yeah. yeah, Timothy, that's that's really great. So they 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 have the uh, form of godliness, but they deny its power. Yeah. To quote another author, you know they're what like, I mean? <laughs> like they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna uh, lead with Matthew eighteen, but then when when you actually get into that conversation, they're not loving you. They're not laying down their life for you, but they're unleashing all the power yeah. of hell against yeah. you. Which, you know, <laughs> where's that in Matthew 18? Right. It's not there. <laughs> yeah. 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 Good. That's happened to me, by the way. That's, that's happened to me. Mm-hmm. Um, me too. Yeah. All right. Number four. So it may, yeah. So as you're, as you're listening, um, we are going to get around to like, if you recognize that, wow, I think I'm in a spiritually abusive environment, hang on. We're going to talk about what to do about that. Yeah. But let's finish out uh, these these four signs. Go ahead. Number four. Sure. Number four, spiritual abuse twists the truth to uphold power. And I think this sign is most prevalent in churches and denominations that already have created an identity for themselves of being the most theologically sound, the most oh, orthodox yeah. and more correct than any other traditions. Uh, yeah. It's kind of a breeding ground for that. And so, for example, one thing that I heard was when I was voicing my 
um, dissenting opinions from the leadership in my Presbyterian church, I was told by a minister that what I was doing was not Presbyterian. They told me that <laughs> to be truly Presbyterian was to just go along with what the elders said, no matter what. Huh. And so I'm not sure if the minister knew or didn't know that I was seminary trained. So I've read Charles Hodge talking about how, you know, elders are actually representatives of the people of God, not guest men to the pastor. I'm not sure if he knew that or not, but a lot of lay lay people don't have the benefit to be trained in that sort of way. And so it sounds really good to them. And there's a lot of peer pressure. Uh, I I think people don't realize that peer pressure exists outside of junior high. (laughs) Yeah. It exists in our it exists in our churches where people, I mean, in my own circles, there is a very big pull to be truly reformed or truly theological or doctrinally sound. And that mm-hmm. means X, Y, and Z. And so usually they'll use yeah. and abuse or even invent sort of theo- twist theologies and truths in order to abuse, right? In yes. order to perpetuate those cycles. Yeah. yeah. So uh, an emphasis on sound doctrine, which isn't wrong, and sound theology, which isn't wrong, becomes the means by which we 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 tend to scapegoat people who don't fit that. Yeah. And it becomes a way that we consolidate our authoritarianism yeah. Yeah. rather than bearing the authority of Christ, is what yeah. you're saying. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this is this is why spiritual abuse, I think, uh, can be can be even more harmful than well, I don't want to rank harmfulness, but um, the unique thing about spiritual abuse is that added to the the pow- powers that be, the people who are in power who are doing the abusing, they have sort of the implied imprimatur of God behind them, mm-hmm. right? So it makes it makes like rebellion against the leader or like saying the leader's wrong. It makes it there's there's more at stake for your average sort of layperson. Yep. Who's like, does this mean I'm not a Christian? Does this mean God? I'm outside of God's will? Is this the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Right. Am I, you know? Sure. So it, it, it engenders, I think, a lot more fear, like, you know, for people uh, inside of this this kind of trauma and abuse, mm. rather than just, you know, your <laughs> your everyday version of it. Yeah. So, mm. yeah. This is great. So what's what's uh, what's the fifth sign? I mean, it's not great. It well, is I mean, great. It's, it's you you're not pro spiritual abuse. No, I'm just not. get on get yeah, on record right, here. Yeah, let, yeah. Let's let's make let the reader understand. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not. Uh, what I mean by great is something you said earlier, Timothy. Um, that was really helpful for me as well. Was having other people validate validate who are going through something similar with me, where we could we could look at each other and go, "That's crazy, right?" Or "This is wrong, right?" And having somebody else to say, "I." I think so. You know, like, like it, it just helped so much. Um, so you didn't feel crazy, like you were saying earlier. Um, right. So yeah. So I'm I'm hopeful. This that's what I mean by great. That's why it's I'm great. hoping this podcast can help some of y'all hmm. to not feel crazy. Yes. To feel like okay, this is something that's that's real, and and I, I don't need to just you know sit here and take this. Yeah. So anyway. Right. Right. Uh, that's huge because, like I mentioned earlier the feeling of craziness or thinking that you're crazy is the f- often the first reaction yes. when you are, when you've experienced spiritual abuse. Mm-hmm. Mm. I think a lot of people, I'm not sure about a lot of people, but there are people who feel that feeling of that they're crazy and they don't know what to do with it. Yes. And often what I've seen happen is they think maybe I'm not a Christian and they'll go to someone who's in that whole system of abuse and they mm-hmm. will say, yes, you are not a Christian. <laughs> right, right. It gets confirmed. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's a hard thing, yeah. 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 That, that's, that's why I think it's so important for us to talk about. 
How many um, people have walked away from church or God, and what they've done is walked away from abuse? Right. Right. Thinking that God signed, God uh, put his stamp of approval on it. Right. And they're and like, so, I don't want anything to do with that God. Right. I'm and not so, a Christian. And so, like, the missional task then isn't just to say, hey, you get back to church. <laughs> uh, but it's yeah, to right. say, I'd walk away from that God, too. If that God existed, if that was the God revealed in Jesus, mm. then I would not be here either. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, you, did a, you actually did a really good thing leaving that. Yeah, um, but but to hear that right. is helpful. So yeah, helpful. yeah. Okay, number fifth, five. Fifth sign. Number yes. five. So number five is spiritual abuse speaks before asking always, Ooh. and so I think this is one where I've seen not. I've usually seen this not from the person who is actively doing the spiritual abuse, but maybe people who are in his circles, his or her circles, who are complicit in the abuse. And so, for example, let's, if someone is experiencing spiritual abuse from their pastor, they decide, okay, I'm going to go to my elder and tell them about this. Mm-hmm. And um, the, instead of the elder listening with an open ear uh, about the things that you're going through, they start to put words in your mouth. Mm-hmm. They start to automatically assume that you must have deserved it. Uh, there must have been some reason why Pastor X acted in those ways towards you. Um, there's always kind of, there's never a sitting back, listen from the side of the victim. It's yeah. always, there must be some crazy reason why this person thinks that they were abused. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. defend and protect. The institution and, or the yeah. leader. And as though, right. as though like... <laughs> what you're describing is a meritocracy too, right? That uh, you get what you deserve. And so if somebody's being a jerk to you, you earned it. When the gospel yeah. is <laughs> the yeah. exact opposite, right? Right. right. <laughs> so it's just, uh, yeah. Yeah. oh man, it's, it's stinking thinking, as they say. Yeah. Yeah, and it's the opposite. We, we talk a lot in our coaching and our training, Timothy. Um, we talk a lot about cultivating a compassionate curiosity, and it strikes me that what you're talking about there is the exact opposite of compassionate curiosity. It's it's a entrenched sort of defending of the powers that be, no matter what. Mm. You know, absolutely. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so, so these are the five signs of spiritual abuse, and we want to get to like if you feel like you've experienced this, no. you know, um, like what what to do about that. But I also I also wonder if leaders are listening. Because sometimes I think spiritual abuse sort of ends up becoming like uh, these are boogeymen who are out there like doing these awful, heinous things. But I, I wouldn't want us to assume that we're beyond it, right, as leaders. Like we're beyond no. using some of these tactics or, or falling into some of these patterns, even if we're not sort of a blatant spiritual abuser. Yeah. Um, I wonder what we can do, Timothy, to cultivate a culture that um, is allergic to spiritual abuse. Right to cultivate a culture where it's where it's positive, where it's healthy, where these kinds of things uh, don't happen. Um, I don't know. Do you have any? Do you have any uh, advice for us in that regard? Like, are there positive kind of corollaries to these five signs of spiritual abuse? Yeah, and and that's a real question, isn't it? Because people like me who are writing about spiritual abuse, we're doing this because we want to see Christians thrive. Mm-hmm. We want to see churches to be spiritually spiritually healthy. Yes. We do it because we love the church, not because we hate the church. Hmm. Uh, and Jesus himself doesn't want abuse to thrive 
within his body. Yes. And so I, I think, you know, on the one hand, you could look at the complete opposites of these five signs of spiritual abuse, right? Sure. You could say gossip is immensely important, especially for people in spiritual authority, because their position, their office carries weight and credibility. And so a pastor, um, your idle words that you speak about a difficult congregant will frame and shape that person's reputation in the eyes of mm. others. Mm-hmm. And so you can, you can go down through my list of five um, signs and just do the opposite. Sure. But I think, it's, I think we need to do more than that because if spiritual abuse is more than just interpersonal one-off kind of actions, if it's yeah. a system right. issue, we need to address it from a system. We need to create new systems and mechanisms in order to address the sin. Yeah, Timothy, can I get can I get racial for a second? <laughs> I mean, white people are really bad. Can I speak on behalf of white people? Right. You're not asking me you to. Just, is that the end of the sentence? They're really bad? We're just really bad people. <laughs> no, uh, no, like, like uh, typically, white people don't have the conceptual tools to see systemic sin. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Um. In Western, in the Western context, hmm. right? In a in a context that privileges white normativity, uh, the systems are all set up for our benefit, right? And so we never we never run into glass walls because they're set up so we don't. <laughs> That's we we got to set up the glass walls, right, or the glass ceilings, if you will. So can you unpack for us a little bit, like? Like systemically, how do we begin to see these artifacts of of spiritual abuse, abuse you're describing? Because it's hard for sure. us. It's hard for me. Sure. I think, and before I do that, I want to also make sure that systemic change does not mean virtue signaling your own ecclesiastical convictions. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, okay. What, what yeah. I mean by that is, yeah. as a Reformed Presbyterian, there will always be somebody or several people who will say, well, pa- that pastor would not have gotten away with that abuse if they had just been Presbyterian, mm. right? If they just had been a member of their presbytery and they had been accountable to fellow elders, that would have never happened. Yeah. And, and trust me, accountability, is, accountability isn't magic. It doesn't happen magically. Mm-hmm. And sometimes... Uh, my Presbyterian brothers and sisters are going to hate me for this, but <laughs> abuse can be far worse in con- connectional churches because abusers often know how their systems of, of ecclesiology work. Huh. They, they know how, they know how um, to get clout, how, to, how the fear of man works. And oftentimes you won't just have one person doing active spiritual abuse, but you might have a whole band of abusers mm in the presbytery level or higher courts of the church who are doing those actions, right? So it doesn't automatically happen. (laughs) So that's one thing, just that that's not a systemic change. Ecclesiastical church structures don't magically create vitality and health. Yes? Right. I'm really glad to hear you say that, Timothy. I'm really glad to hear you say that, Timothy, because I, uh, it's anecdotal, but like as all this stuff with the Roman Catholic church is breaking, and all this stuff with low church evangelicals like uh, you know Willow Creek and Harvest Bible Chapel are breaking. A lot of my Reformed Presbyterian brothers are sort of championing their ecclesiology as the solution to solve the abuse problem. Mm. And I push back. You know, we're, uh, Ben and I are Anglican priests, so we're 
uh, we have a different polity. Uh, I push back on that, but I'm just the I'm just the guy that has a bishop who doesn't get you know pre- Presbyterian uh, you know church structure. Yeah. But I'm really glad to hear you say that because I I think I don't think there is a magic bullet. Yeah. You know, even if you're convicted that the Presbyterian church government system is the most faithful biblical way of of being a church and structuring authority and power, mm-hmm. abuse can still happen. It's not magic. I like I like yeah. that way of saying it. Yeah, it's good. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry we. Yeah, we keep jumping in because this is like this is great this is good. stuff. It's yeah. kind of how our podcast normally goes, but yeah, you know, all right, especially when we got a topic like this. This is great. Keep so, going, Timothy. Systemic, systemic, yeah, issues. So if if spiritual abuse is as serious as it is, here, here's a couple thoughts, and this isn't exhaustive. I think that every single person in church leadership or who wants to aspire to church leadership, so either official or unofficial should receive training on spiritual abuse. Mm. Every membership class, confirmation class, and even perhaps adult and children's Sunday school classes should teach what does a faithful leader look like and how can you spot and report spiritual abuse. Seminaries and Bible colleges should train our future leaders to spot uh, spiritual abuse, report these things. We need yeah. to create mechanisms and policies within our denominational structures, our ecclesiastical structures, uh, for people to report spiritual abuse, both internally and also externally. Hmm. Um, I, I think it's not anti-Presbyterian to think <laughs> that way, right? Yeah. It's it, it's actually to if we if we believe that sin needs to be addressed, right? If everyone's a sinner, we don't just say, oh, go on and do your sin, right? We, we address those sins. We create mechanisms. We have things in place to address those things. I think if we take it as seriously as it is, if spiritual abuse is a complete flip of the gospel, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Where you do power for your own sake, for your own kingdom. If it's that anti-gospel, we need to address those things from both the top down and the bottom up. Yeah, Training our new members, our children in our churches, as well as our current leaders and future leaders. So from Hmm. both sides to address this issue. Um, Beyond the policies, beyond the mechanisms, beyond the teaching, we also need to foster and to live out a posture of standing with victims and empowering them to speak speak up against abusers. Hmm. I think in too many of our churches, the pious counsel that we give is just leave quietly. Yeah. Right? If abuse has happened to you, just just leave and forgive. Uh, don't, don't make a forgive. Don't yeah. make a fuss. Just yeah. go. Right. Yeah. Totally. And frankly, that's often how spiritual abusers become more emboldened to do worse things. Mm. They realize I got away with that. Yeah. I can do more, and that's never the fault of the victims. That's our fault. The rest of us who have systematically failed to be advocates hmm. for the abused and the vulnerable as Jesus would have wanted us to be. Hmm. And so we need to live out um, a whole ethic of what it means to support, to counsel, to give, to pray for, to walk in companionship with people who have been abused. Um, mm. Yeah, We need to take spiritual abuse as seriously as, as it is in God's eyes um, and to see that it, it's, it's so counter gospel that it's it's cause for public discipline not mm. just a slap on the wrist behind yeah. closed doors right yeah, yeah. you did a you did a boo-boo <laughs> yeah. pastor Oopsie. but yeah. 
But no, it's actually cost for public repentance, mm. public discipline, and even might even be cause for removal from positions of authority if necessary. Yes, there's this there's this culture war over victims right now. Are you are you conversant with this, Timothy? Where you've got you've got people who are so victims are finally having a voice, right? In some ways, in right. some ways, yeah. right? Yeah. Me too, church too, like all these different ways that people are finally feeling free to speak out. And it's uh, there's a reckoning happening, right? Mm-hmm. Not only not just in Christian circles, but in culture as well, Hollywood, etc. But then you have this reaction against that, where you have basically, in my world, it's mostly um, really conservative Christians who are anti-victim mentality, anti-victim sort of sort of the the identity that gets formed as victims. Right. They're they're sort of lumped into this. Um, you just want to embolden and empower this this. F- Sub kingdom identity as being mm. a victim, like what was done to you now defines you, and you get to make demands, etc. And so there is this sense of forgive, like the gospel thing to do for you, victim, is to forgive and move on. And there's this pressure that comes from well-meaning Christians to do that. But what I heard you say is that actually contributes to the system, the social architecture that breeds abuse. Yeah, absolutely. Like and just reckoning with that yeah. as people who desperately care about you know the truthfulness of of scripture and the power of the gospel yeah um like like if we if we never listened to victims ninety eight percent of the Bible would never have been written because it's mm-hmm. written by victims oh yeah. Right? yeah yeah so it's like our own our own scriptures are yeah. listening to victims yeah and the other thing that I think is important to highlight here is um. Just what you said there, Timothy, in terms of um, how the the gospel, the the our integrity to the gospel is at stake here, because I think oftentimes the the thing that I hear um, when somebody brings up like this leader, you know, did X, Y, or Z, um, I think oftentimes we're willing to sort of turn a blind eye to these what we think of as minor sins. Oh yeah, you got to break a few eggs to make an omelet. That's just how he is, you know. You know he's he's really under a lot of stress right now. Right. And so sometimes but, he pops off and Right. But we want him to stay in this position because he's doing such great work for the kingdom. That's usually he, right? He's he's doing such great work for the kingdom. He's you know he he's such a you know people like look at that. how many look at how many people are coming to the church. Look at how many people are hearing yeah. quote the gospel. Pe- yeah, yeah. So we can't really deal with this minor issue here over here that you have because all this good stuff is happening. But what I heard you say, Timothy, is that like actually, uh, actually, this is a, a a wicked thing that needs to be repented of. Yeah. It's you know you can't you can't weigh it in the balance of saying like well you know some some little sins and then you know some good stuff is happening too yeah yeah mm. right I, think, I mean yeah one of the common things that people will say is well they've done so much good for the kingdom yeah right? and yeah. and I would say well let's go back in time and look at the kings of Israel there were lots of wicked kings who did great things for the kingdom. Come on, <laughs> Timothy. You know, what I, you know what I mean? Yeah. There's a, yeah. there a lot of wicked kings who did some great things, but they were still wicked. Yeah. And God still sent prophets and he still took them down. <laughs> and yeah. I think we should think of it in the same way. Yes, absolutely. There are pastors who are people in positions of power who might have done, quote unquote, great things for the kingdom. But if that's done by shedding the blood of innocent people, figuratively, hopefully not literally, but. <laughs> right. But through the blood of you know innocent people, uh, is that really 
what the gospel tells us to do, right? right it's that right. really a fulfillment of the how Great much, Commission. How much good is actually being done is the other question I hear in the background there. Like, how much good is actually being done here yep. if this is, if it's on the backs of the innocent? Of the innocent? Yes. Yeah. So, so, Timothy, maybe close this out, wrap this up. What do I do? Like, if I'm, if I'm a pastor and uh, maybe I'm under conviction, uh, you know, uh, my leadership kind of tiptoes along the line of, of unfaithful or abusive, or, so that's one question, but then also, too, maybe I'm in a church, mm-hmm. and I have eyes to see and ears to hear, and some of the things we're naming today gives us concern, like, what do we do, where do we go? That's so difficult, because there's so many different situations, um, and I'm going to be very real, too, that and honest, there are some churches and some denominations that are irredeemably unsafe and toxic. Mm. Mm. And that's hard for me to say, but I think I have warrant to say it because Jesus says that he will remove lampstands from churches that are not loving, right? Mm -hmm. He says that. Mm -hmm. And so it is definitely possible for those sorts of churches and denominations to exist. And I think in those cases, the best thing that we can do for your well-being is to leave. Um, and if there's any sort of physical abuse, sexual abuse, um, if you are experiencing or if someone else is experiencing it, that's cause for, and you need to call civil authorities, outside authorities. Yep. Yeah. Um, that's, that's definitely worst case scenario, but I want to say that exists. Yeah. Um, the Bible says that that exists. There are other cases where you may be called to stay because your resistance to leaving quietly is faithfulness to God. And in those cases, you need a strong support system um, because you're going to have to go through the entire course of your denomination or your church's systems to address and confront spiritual abuse. And so our prayer, of course, is that by God's grace, that's going to result in repentance, reparation, restitution from the abusers to those whom they've abused, as well as anyone who's been complicit in their abuse. Mm. But very often what that might result in is an institution, institutional digging in of heels. Um, There's going to be seemingly endless appeals to higher church courts. If your denomination or church has that as a possibility, even, and even ostracization. And in, Mm. even in those cases, the prayer is that, the other people who are witnessing these things happen as you resist, as you stay in these churches is that they, the spirit will work in their hearts so that they would see what's going on. Um, That they would either stand with you to make real change in that church um, or prevent, you know, future abuse uh, from happening. Yes. And of course there's the best case scenarios where we bring, you bring up, um, spiritual abuse that's happening, either you, that you've experienced or someone else has experienced to the leadership of a church, and they will be fully willing to hear the truth. They'll be willing to address it, the sin publicly, they'll repent of it, make wow. changes, right? That's the best case scenario. And we're always hoping for that, right? Yes. It's, so easy, it's so easy to be a cynic. Um, and I think it's really hard to toe that line between being a cynic and being real. <laughs> and I think we need to yeah. always be prayerful and hopeful that the spirit of God is powerful enough yeah. to change people and yeah. confront them just like Nathan confronted David and yeah. say, woe is me, <laughs> right? God be merciful to me. Yes. Yeah, that's great. That's great. And I, I think that's helpful. That's helpful to, to hear, I think, because 
Oftentimes, I, I do think one of the unfortunate things that happens is that victims who are beginning to speak out, like they get accused of like trying to take down a church, trying, you know, hating this pastor, you know, you're just trying to tear divisive. things down, you're being divisive, that kind of thing. But you're talking about a motive, like staying out of a motivation of love in the hope of repentance, right? For the good of the whole body, the, whole, the good of the whole church, yep. which is a very different motivation than what sometimes gets thrown around yeah. and people get accused of. Yeah, we'll, we'll put some resources and some organizations in our show notes for those who want to get get help and, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I... And feel free to read, uh, just email us too, if, yeah. if you want. We're happy to direct you in a in a good direction, podcast at gravityleadership.com. Yeah. Yeah. Timothy, thank you so much. Thank you so much for, uh, it feels like the, the the thing that was intended for evil, God is birthing good out of mm-hmm. um, in your life and through your life and family's life for other people. So thank you so much for sharing your story and sharing your wisdom with us today. Sure. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. We'll see you. Bye-bye, guys. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. If you enjoy learning from this podcast, please be sure to show your support by rating, reviewing, and subscribing on iTunes. Be sure to share with your friends on social media too. And we would love to hear from you. So please email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. You can join our online community for free at gravityleadership.com slash join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.